During the summer months in the evening, we have been looking at a passage in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12, and it's one of those statements in scripture that is um, comprehensive in its drawing together elements that you find elsewhere in the book of Deuteronomy, but here it's all put together in, in one place. And it's put together in one place under the general theme of that which God requires of his people. The people whom he redeemed from Egyptian bondage, uh, the people he's entered into covenant with. Um, he says to them, in the words of verse, uh, verse 12, Deuteronomy 10, in the words of verse 12, And now Israel... What does Yahweh your God require of you but to fear Yahweh your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of Yahweh which I am commanding you today for your good. Five Verbs are found here that express the duty, the requirements, the things that really are <coughs> in the light of God's deliverance of his people from Egyptian bondage, what Paul calls your reasonable service. This is the kind of thing that you ought to be doing because this is what makes sense in the light of what God has done for you. To do anything otherwise is some form of madness not to seek to do these things of fearing the Lord, walking in His ways, serving the Lord, I'm sorry, uh, the central one, loving Him, serving Him, and keeping the commandments. And so we began to look at these things, and I looked at the first one, which is actually the third, because it's central. Again, a lot of times when you have those odd number listing of things in Scripture, it's that central one that is the most significant. So you have five of these, and you have two that kind of lead into it, and two that fall out from it. But the central thing is to love the Lord your God. That Jesus said that's the great commandment of the law. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love your neighbor as, uh, as you love yourself. Uh, the, these are the things that are the summary of the law. And there's really nothing greater than this, that we're called upon to love God. And every one of these other things is really an aspect of that great duty of loving God. And how do we love God? Well, we love God by fearing Him. We love God by um, by walking in His steps uh, or in His paths. Uh, we love God by serving Him. And we love God by keeping His commandments. And this is a full, rounded, comprehensive list of duties list of requirements that God has given to his people. And it's important that we understand that because we tend to gravitate towards certain aspects of Christian living. And we say this is what it's all about. It's all about keeping commandments. It's all about expounding the law. It's all about having a real sense of what those ten words from Sinai is all about and uh, giving ourselves to obedience to those ten commandments. And we've all known Christians like that and churches like that that are very much centered in the exposition of the ten commandments. That's not wrong. That's not bad. But uh, it's not all there is. It's not all there is. Um, again, the, the keeping of the Ten Commandments is summarized in the commandment to love. 
But love is a personal thing. It's not just something God gives, such as His law. It's loving Him. It's bringing us into a personal bond of union and communion and commitment of this God is our God, that He will be our guide even unto death. And we choose Him and we render to Him our hearts and our our lives and our commitment and our, our service as He has also done to us, as He's come to us in His redemptive love and in His redemptive grace and provision. Um, and then there's this matter of the fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord is something that we saw some weeks back uh, sort of responds to the voice of the Lord Uh, again I really do think there's something there in what the scriptures lay out for us when the fear of the Lord is presented it's responding to the voice of the Lord hearing God's words hearing God's commands his directives, his counsel, his wisdom and they're responding to those things in a way that embraces that wisdom that embraces those standards that embraces those words that teaching, that instruction that we receive that, we receive that instruction and then in receiving that instruction we're committed to live in the light of it we're committed to bend our will to his will, our hearts to his heart, our uh, our priorities to his priorities, uh, and that's all what it means to fear him. That we might know his continued smile and not his frown. That in everything we would seek to, to please him and not to displease him. But there's this uh, second thing in this list that comes after the fear of the Lord comes uh, in the list before the central thing of the of, of, of the love of God but yet it does seem to me it's it's up there in the priorities that are given I always think it's interesting that here in this passage which in my mind is this big picture this comprehensive picture um, and again all these things are mentioned elsewhere in Deuteronomy and sometimes they're mentioned in different orders and sometimes uh, com- keeping the commandments is, is, is right up there at the top. But you don't have the four others in the same list. Maybe you have one or two others that might be in the list. In chapter 5, I think it does that. It puts it in a different order. But here in the comprehensive list that I think is intentionally placed before the people as what the Lord your God requires of you. That's what verse 12 says. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? I do think it's interesting. The commandment keeping is the last of them. Now it doesn't mean that's unimportant. We could jettison it and throw it out because all these things are absolutely essential. God requires commandment keeping in the, in, in, in the course of loving him and fearing him. But um, it is interesting to me that there, these things are placed first so that we won't just sink into the habit of thinking in terms of external law keeping rules and regulations and doing them Uh, and of course we are to do them and they're not unimportant they're for our good, they're for our benefit they're for our blessing but there's other ways God instructs us there's other ways that God sets before us moral imperatives and moral duties the things we're supposed to be concerned about as his people and again, we have it in his voice, as his voice teaches us and instructs us uh, in commandments, yes, but more in, in the very uh, warp and woof of, of, of biblical instruction that's given throughout the scriptures of learning who God is, learning what things that he's done, his great and mighty acts, his, his names, everything that involves teaching that we receive from scripture as God declares himself and declares his revelation, that's all part of the way we respond to him in godly reverence and the kind of reverential fear that we're called upon to render to him. But then there is this third thing. 
And sometimes it's not something we would think of right off hand. What does the Lord require of you? But it's there. It's the third thing where uh, the Lord says, you're to walk in all his ways. You're to walk in all his ways. Now, when you think about walking versus hearing or feeling, you know, loving the Lord with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, uh, hearing his voice, we all can do that sitting, right? <laughs> Nobody has to get up and perform anything. But walking's performative. Walking is getting up and doing something. Going out on the rail trail and walking means you got to get there and you had to spend the next couple of hours actually moving your feet one after another and walking. Uh, it's performative. It's doing something. And this image of walking is really... It, it comes to us in scripture in terms of the style of life we choose to live the kind of path we choose to go down so God says in the first psalm blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly there are people who in their walk in their daily lifestyle and the things they do and the things that they choose they're guided, regulated, governed by the counsel of the ungodly uh, you know, what is uh, the latest thing that Dr. So-and-so expert of this thing tells you you're supposed to do and that person could probably care less about any counsel from scripture but he just goes it alone and says this is the best thing this is the best way to live your life well who says well if, if it's conflicting with the laws of God and the ways of God um, then it's not godly counsel and we need to be receiving godly counsel the counsel of his word to have our lives structured by his word to have our lifestyle our values, the things we pursue governed by his word so the walk is our lifestyle and it's something that's used continually through the scriptures I mean it speaks of mankind's communion with God in the garden of Eden Uh, he heard the voice the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day God walks upon the earth where? in Eden why? that's where this image bearer resides, he planted a garden he placed them in it and there must have been since Adam heard the sound of the voice of the, the sound of the Lord in the garden in the cool of the day it was recognizable to him and so it wasn't something he was experiencing at that point at the very first time so there was some measure of communion that went on in the cool of the day when his work was done at the end of the day God met with him and he met with God and there was this interchange of, of, uh, of, of communion and thought and uh, um, dialogue however it went but there was something of uh, uh, action that takes place as God approaches and man approaches God and there is this uh, activity that's being done and, and so the walk is an activity um, Paul says walk in love as Christ has loved you and given himself to be uh, a, a, an offering for, for a sweet smelling uh, savor uh, uh, Ephesians 5 he also in the very same chapter says uh, walk in wisdom not only walk in love but walk in wisdom and he also says walk in the light uh, so uh, we're told to walk in all these things all these things are part of the walk of the Christian because they're the ways of God God's way is a way of wisdom God's way is a way of love God's way is a way of light and since all this is bound up in who God is his character, his attributes what he's like as we said this morning those who worship God 
will be, whatever you worship as God, you will resemble. You will be like the thing that you worship. We are imitative. And there's nothing greater to imitate than the God we worship and serve, the God we bow down before, the God we humble ourselves before. If we get a sight of what he's like, then our desire should be to walk in his ways, to do the things that he does. Um, and there's a sense in which to walk in God's ways is just to follow his paths. God leads us and we walk in the paths in which he leads us. Sometimes he leads us by words and instructions. Sometimes he leads us by his own example. Um, as he demonstrates love to us here in his love, not that we love God, but he loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins, we respond in love. Love is reciprocal. <laughs> There's nothing worse than unrequited love. Well, God is not to receive unrequited love. He's not to give love with nothing in return. We are to love him in return. We are to um, walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have communion with one another, John says, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. He is in the light. Walk in the light. Walk as children of the light. So, uh, again, I think this whole call to walk in the way, uh, to walk um, in all his ways, is to first of all understand his ways. What are the ways of God? And then to emulate those ways, to walk in those ways. Now, there's certain things, particularly in the book of Deuteronomy, that walking in God's ways tends to be uh, connected with. There's a couple of them I'll set before you. Is um, In chapter 11, in verse 22, just the next chapter, uh, it says, uh, For if you are careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, and that's not the Ten Commandments, this is the whole, the whole shebang, the whole deal, the whole commandment that... Uh, Moses is giving the people in this book of Deuteronomy loving the Lord your God walking in all his ways and those are two of the things we saw in we see in chapter 10 and verse 12 loving the Lord your God walking in all his ways but in the light of walking in all his ways something additional is found here that's not found in chapter 10 and verse 12 that's holding fast to him cleaving to him Almost the same idea of what Adam and Eve are told when you leave father and mother. What do you do? You cleave to your wife. There's to be this embrace and there's to be this relationship that's unending. You seek to hold fast to your wife and cleave to her and uh, she to you. And so there's this to be this cleaving, you being united to him in a personal way of commitment. And so part of what it means to walk in God's ways is to be committed to Him, is to be near to Him, is to cleave to Him. How else do you learn somebody's ways? You know, if you're at a great distance from them and you never see how they act and how they perform and you're never, not paying attention, uh, you won't see. You need, you need to cleave. You need to be near. You need to observe. You need to take your, the key from the way the Lord demonstrates His ways if you would walk in those ways. Uh, 19, 19 in verse 9 speaks of walking in God's ways with one other thing added to it. Not only are we to cleave to him, that we might observe him, 
and hence walk in his ways but also here in chapter 19 verse 9 let's just back up uh, to verse 8 the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he swore to your fathers this is the cities of refuge uh, the Lord gives them three cities and he's going to add more cities if, uh, if the blessing of God continues so that the land uh, prospers he gives you all the land that he's promised to your fathers provided you're careful to keep all this commandment which I command you today by loving the Lord your God and by walking ever in his ways not just walking in his ways for a moment or a time or a brief period and then well, retirement age comes and you're free now to go your way. No. This is a lifetime commitment. This is cleaving to a wife is a, um, a union of intimacy and nearness. So that union is not to be broken. What God joins together let no man put asunder. And our cleaving to him is un, should be unending. We should ever walk in his ways. We should ever be fixated upon the ways of God and desire to know more and more of the ways of God that we might be walking in those ways. And then there's this one other thing. And that's in 26 and verse 17. So walking in his ways means cleaving. It means forever cleaving. And then in uh, 26.17 back up to 16 this day Yahweh your God commands you to do these statutes and rules you shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul you have declared today that Yahweh is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and commandments and rules and will obey his voice. This matter of walking in his ways is in conjunction with the fact that you've declared this God is my God. You've declared him to be your God. I think in the King James it says you avouch him to be your God. You pledge yourself to be his people as he has pledged himself to be our God. You embrace him as your God. And it's this personal embracing of this God is my God. He will be my guide, even unto death, that informs the, the, the ways that we seek to learn from Him and walk in forever. Because this God is our God, hence we cleave to Him. Hence we cleave to Him forever. And in this God being our God, and we cleave to Him and cleave to Him forever, um, we walk in His ways because He's our God. He is our God. And so we don't walk in the ways of any other God. So those are some of the things that this commandment to walk in the ways of the Lord are associated with. At least in the book of Deuteronomy, I think if you do a more thorough study, you'll find it's associated with a lot of other things in other passages, but I just didn't have time to do uh, all that work. But at least in terms of what's there in Deuteronomy, it is, has these uh, different, very important associations. But uh, in addition to that, one of the ways, one of the places in Scripture where the language of uh, the ways of God and walking in those ways is abundant is also the book of the Psalms. Not only the book of Deuteronomy, but it's also in the book of the Psalms. And um, 
in the book of the Psalms we learn something very interesting about this period of Israel's history that we find in Deuteronomy uh, Moses and Israel and the various insights and understandings that each uh, of them had, the leader of the nation and those that are led by that leader for uh, in Psalm 103 there's this very interesting word that's spoken in Psalm 103 after all those blessings that we're not to forget that um, brings the psalmist to bless the holy name of the Lord um, the psalmist declares uh, in the words of verse 7 he made his ways known to Moses or he made known his ways to Moses his acts to the people of Israel so the people of Israel basically saw the God that opened the sea they saw his works they saw the plagues that came upon the Egyptians they saw the theophany on Mount Sinai there was an observable display before their eyes that God is here that God has come that God has spoken that God has requirements but one thing that people never obtained was a knowledge of his ways for they never walked in his ways and they quickly became rebellious against him and they sought out other gods there was no sympathy for the God of Israel Uh, they received his benefits but they didn't see uh, who it was that brought those benefits and what he's like and that's something Moses saw up front and personal Moses had the faith to see the God of the covenant in ways the people of Israel did not see him he had the ways of God made known to him over in the 95th Psalm we have a similar statement that's made in Psalm 95 when it says that verse 10 for 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways you can't walk in the ways of a God you don't know you got to know him and you have to know his ways and his personal intimacy with God and what God is like his character is revealed to us as it was revealed to Moses that brings an attraction of our hearts to him and a desire of at least a renewed heart a regenerate heart be walking in the ways of our God not to be rebellious not to be difficult it's our aspiration to walk in God's ways it should be our highest goal each day and every day of our lives to wake up in the morning you got a task before you what is it well to walk with God and to walk in his ways to draw near to God with some measure of personal intimacy as a redeemed child of God and 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 come to know his ways come to know what things he has done in the the 25th Psalm there's a number of statements about the ways of the Lord and the first one is a prayer it's a cry to know God's ways Uh, Psalm 25 and verse 4 here's the prayer make me to know your ways O Lord teach me your paths make me to know your ways but that's not just something you say Lord make me to know your ways and let me learn it just by 
you know, meditating on a wet noodle <laughs> or just putting my mind as a blank with filled, filled, filling it with nothing. No. It's in addition, the way in which God makes us to know his ways is it's as he teaches us his paths. So there's, a, there's a parallelism in the, um, in the passage. And you know when you see parallel statements like this where uh, the first uh, part in the first uh, strophe, as they call it, the first statement, it is uh, the ways that are being spoken about and that has its parallel in the paths of the next strophe, of the next statement. And make me to know these ways is also parallel to teach me your paths. And so it's telling us the way God makes known his ways to us as he places us in his school to teach us as we become willing students to receive the knowledge of the Lord as he imparts that knowledge to us in his word that we're put into the school of his discipleship to learn of him. And so it's as we become students of the law or students of the instruction that God gives. God then teaches us his ways and makes known his paths to us. And so that's not just Lord, you make me to know your paths and then I'll just not do anything. No. You need to be taught the ways of the Lord and the paths of the Lord. And that involves your activity. Diligently applying yourself to learn the ways of the Lord. But what are these ways? What are these paths? What's the content of this? When you boil it down, what's God calling us to be doing? Obviously, He's calling us to do something. We're to walk. But what are the paths in which we are to walk? Well, let me suggest a few things. Uh, Put your finger in Psalm 25. We're going to get back there. And go back to the book of uh, Deuteronomy in chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Again, this is very similar in some ways to uh, Deuteronomy 10, I believe, following the statement of the requirements that God gives to his people. I think there's also uh, the call to the heavens and the earth to bear witness to the things that God speaks. That's replicated here in chapter 32 and verse 1. Give ear, O heavens, I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech there still is to do. Again, the teaching that the psalmist spoke of, that God would teach us his ways. Um, he, he says in verse 3, For I will proclaim the name of Yahweh ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. All his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They're no longer his children because they're blemished. They're a crooked and twisted generation. You see, this matter of justice is not just that God punishes sin and iniquity, but that people fail to receive instruction. Part of what justice is, is not just retributive. It's not just God coming with wrath at the end of the day, at the day of wrath. 
but it's God bringing his people to learn his ways that are right it's uh, often put together with righteousness righteousness and justice are the same thing the justice of God is not just retributive it's corrective it corrects us from the wrongs to make us right it corrects us from what is iniquitous so that we might practice the virtues we are practice the things that are pleasing in his sight God's justice encourages us to walk in just ways as he is just towards us and that doesn't just mean that he pours wrath out upon us. He's just to his children in the way that he brings us to greater measures of understanding of the pathway of the righteous. And Proverbs 4 speaks about the ways of the righteous or the just being as the shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day, unto the perfect noonday when the sun is, as, is at its brightest. So it's the righteous that are being brought to greater and greater measures of justness and light and light uh, and so we ought to think of justice not just as a negative thing, but as a positive thing. It's bound, it's bound up in the character of God. And we're, as his people, we're learning the ways of justice. We're learning the ways of righteous living. The ways of equitable um, treatment of people. Of giving everybody their due. Of giving everybody um, a sense of our understanding of their dignity as image bearers of God. And um, again, walking in ways that are, again, the ways that God in his mercy and kindness deals with this world. His sun shining upon the just and the unjust. His rain falling upon the good and the evil. Uh, we are to in, uh, be engaged in, in, in loving our enemies and doing good to them. Um, because it's the just thing. It's the right thing for us to do. They may do all the wrong things, but that doesn't mean we're to answer them in kind. We're to answer God in faith and do the right thing. And so part of what it means to walk in the ways of God is to walk in the ways of this positive, corrective justice of treating people fairly and rightly and uh, equitably and then uh, giving everybody their due and giving everybody uh, the proper respect and regard for who they are as image bearers of God. And so um, that's one aspect. Why do you do that? It seems so different than the way the people of the world act. And that's true. Jesus says, um, be not as the Gentiles. Be not as the people that don't know God. Be as the people who do know God. His ways are justice. Your ways are to be justice too. The book of um, Micah. A great statement of uh, chapter 6. I can't recall if you looked at it when we began this thing in terms of summary statements that we find in Scripture about the things that God requires of us. I think we might have looked at it then. But it's, I think, important to look at it now as well. In uh, Micah chapter 6. Verse 6 says, With what shall I come before Yahweh and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with ten thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And you know, all those things that are stated here are things that, quote, religious, unquote, people do to appease their gods. They think that's what's going to make them right with their gods. That's going to make their gods happy. But the covenant God of Israel is not such a God that would be requiring your firstborn for the sin of your soul. 
Um, he's told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does Yahweh require of you? What's the first thing? But to do justice. That doesn't mean to bring wrathful anger upon your neighbor, but to deal equitably with your neighbor, properly, in terms of giving him uh, what is his just due. And to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Again, part of walking with God is this matter of emulating divine justice, seeking divine justice, seeking the things that are right and good in his sight, as well as to love kindness. But there's something, some other things that, again, accord with this and I think fill out the picture a bit. And that's back in the 25th Psalm, Psalm 25. And I confess, brethren, this is not a complete list. This is just something that is, uh, I think, a helpful way, at least, to come to grips with this requirement of God to walk with Him and have a bit of a sense of what, what the ways of the Lord are like. If we're to walk with God, and to know his ways we need to have a sense of what are his ways like well all of his ways are justice is what the Deuteronomy 25 says in um, Psalm 25 it says all the paths of the Lord and the paths are just an alternate expression for ways it's used uh, interchangeably in this Hebrew parallelism all the paths of Yahweh are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. What the psalm writer does is he brings together a couplet of ideas that we find in God's own declaration of his name to Moses when he was in the cleft of the rock. The Lord, the Lord God, a God a gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abundant. And here it is, loving kindness or steadfast love and faithfulness. God's a God who's abundant in steadfast love and Faithfulness, and what steadfast love is—it's the kind of love you, you you ought to be seeing in covenant relationships. Because covenant relationships are those binding things, those things that bind you to a covenant master or a covenant lord. Uh, whether it was in terms of how one nation would submit in covenant to another nation, they were to submit. And they were to say, that nation that has defeated us in war is now our covenant Lord. And we give ourselves in service. And so it is when God overwhelms us with his grace and brings us subject to to his reign, we come under his lordship. We come under his... um, suzerainty they call it uh, what, a, what an ancient king an overlord would be under his lesser um, uh, servants uh, we're that to, to God and we're to see that all of his paths is a steadfast love that never ends it's a love that's in it for the long haul it's not transient it's not temporary it's not good for a day when you're under the love of this God, it's not that you're, you know, Calvinists like to talk about tulips. And we used to say that those who were Arminians would have their, their own flower, the daisy, where you, you pluck at the petals and you say, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. Well, that's a little bit facetious. I think there are Arminians that have a strong faith uh, to believe that they are the Lord's. But uh, yet, um, that's the picture, that we believe that we are the Lord's and he is ours and he will never leave us and he will never forsake us his love is good even in the hard times even in the time of 
going through the fire and then the floods of affliction, going through all the spiraling pain of depression, to know that underneath us is the, are the everlasting arms, that God will never leave us. He will never let us go. It's love that is good to the end. It's continual, persevering love. That's the kind of love that are the paths of the Lord. And we're to emulate that kind of covenant love. That our love should emulate God's love in that respect. That it will never end. And even when people treat you poorly and unkindly and they kick sand in your face or dust in your face and they wound you and they hurt you and you feel wounded, you don't turn your backs to them. You might turn a wounded face to them, but you're still turning your face to them. And still saying, brother, sister, whatever your problem is with me, I want you to know my love is still a reality. And uh, you may have moved away from me, but I've not moved away from you. I've not moved away from you. You know, to me, that's what's typical of a righteous person. Because the tendency of our hearts is when somebody offends us, to get offended. And to have that offense drive us far from them. We can't control what they do, but you can control what you do. Show them something of the steadfast love of God that says, I still won't despair of this relationship. I want you to know whenever you want to turn back to me, you'll find me where I was when you left. I have not left. I have not left. So that's how God treats us and that's how we're to treat others. All the ways of the Lord are steadfast love. All the ways of his people should be steadfast love. We should walk in his ways. And then there's this matter of emeth. That's the Hebrew word that translated uh, here faithfulness. Sometimes it's translated truth. But it's a kind of truth. It's not just propositional truth. It's the kind of truth that we think of in terms of putting a trust in somebody. It's uh, trustworthiness. It's somebody being true to another. It's a husband being true to his wife. It's uh, parents being true to their children, never betraying them, never turning their backs on them, ever being faithful to them. It's that picture of faithfulness. God is a faithful God. Even when we are faithless, He is faithful. He will never cease being faithful to His promises, faithful to His commitments. And it's again, as as we come to know the God of faithfulness, the God who is trustworthy, we will learn His ways, to walk in His ways. All of His ways are trustworthiness, their faithfulness. And God's people are to learn the ways of faithfulness. And so, again, this is something, folks, that's not natural to us to walk in God's ways. In Psalm, Isaiah 55 says, our way, His ways are not our ways. And, and that's just not that, uh, you know, that God is in the heavens and you know, He's doing things there that are just inconceivable and non, uh, unfathomable to us who live upon the earth. I mean, perhaps there's an element to that. But you see, the ways of God in uh, Isaiah 55 are ways of welcoming the rebel back to him. Ho, everyone that thirsts, let him come and buy without money, without price. God's offering mercy to those who deserve no mercy. 
He goes on to say, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord for he will be merciful to him. Let him return to God for he will abundantly pardon for his ways are not our ways. Our ways are to turn our backs upon the rebel. God's ways is to welcome the rebel home. And we're to learn his ways and not our ways. We're to put away our ways. Again, Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to our own way. Somehow we think our own way is the best way and the right way and the truthful way and the trustful No, it's not. It's not. Our ways are sinful and selfish and proud and arrogant and unthoughtful of others. It's unkind. It's every conceivable sin you can think of that constitute our way. Let the wicked forsake his own way. Let the unrighteous man think forsake his own thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He will find have mercy upon us, and our God will abundantly pardon. So it's a way that we need to learn. It's a way that we must pray that God will teach us. And it's a way that is learned in close communion with him again getting back to the passage that said we cleave to him we're near to him we observe him we're caught up with him with his heart with his love it's one of the reasons I opened up this evening with uh, be still my soul for that line you'll better know his heart and his love who comes to soothe your sorrow and your, fe- and your, and your fears as God comes to soothe our sorrow and our fears we recognize his heart his heart is towards us, not against us. He's with us, not against us. He's concerned with our good. We learn His ways. And we immerse ourselves in the fullness of His ways. That we might emulate those ways. That we might walk in those ways. And again, it's something that's learned not only in communion with the Lord. It's learned by being teachable to, to the instruction of the Lord. Willing to be led by the Lord. Willing to follow Him as we see His example in the scriptures it's learned by waiting upon him not thinking we got the answers instantaneously we're just so smart we seem to know everything just right off hand just how to do things how the, you know how often do we pause say wait a minute before I act let me sit back and reflect <laughs> let me pray let me ask well how does this how does this emulate the Lord how does this show forth any measure of godliness in in, in his ways I, I want the world to see the ways of God by the ways I treat them the ways I walk before them and the final thing is that this walking in the ways of God is learned by beholding the enfleshment of God beholding God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ and what do we learn about the Lord He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn of me, for I am lowly and gentle. The gentleness and lowliness of Christ. Something that Paul uses as an exhortation in the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians. I beseech you by the lowliness and the gentleness or the meekness of Christ. You see, Jesus' compassion 
in the midst of a crowd. He's filled with compassion towards the multitude who are distressed and scattered. He says, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. For the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. We see his patience. We see his kindness. We see his selfless service. You call me Lord and Master, and so I am. But yet I am among you as one who serves. We're to be serving one another with selfless love because that's part of the way of the Lord. So, again, when you think of walking in the ways of the Lord, don't just think, well, the Ten Commandments. You think, oh, the moral law. Think of all these aspects of how God displays his heart and his character in the ways that he deals with his people. And that's what we're to learn. We're to learn from those things. Again, it's not that the law doesn't instruct us. It does. But that's not all that instructs us. There's a wider instruction that Scripture gives that's not just limited to the commandments. It's the fullness of the revelation that God's given of himself. It's given of, in terms of hearing his voice, that we might fear him. Of seeing his ways on full display and all of his actions and works towards his people that we might learn his ways and we might walk in all his ways. Not just in some of them, but all of them. Walk in all his ways. Well, God willing, next time we'll look at the aspect of service. But I hope this is, uh, this is helpful to get a fuller picture of what the Christian life is supposed to be like, what the ethics of the Bible are. Um, again, to not just to see it limited, but to see it well-rounded in terms of all these five pivots that Moses lays before the people as to what the Lord requires of them. So let's commit our thoughts to the Lord as we go to Him in prayer. Father, we're thankful for this time again to be together as your people, to worship you, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we're thankful for the Word of God that's a lamp unto our feet and a light to our pathway. We pray the things that we've uh, looked at this evening would give light to our souls, give direction to our lives, form us and shape us as your people that will walk before you unto all well-pleasing. We ask you to hear our prayers, receive our thanksgiving for your blessings to us on another Lord's Day as we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.